Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general education purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And we always recommend that you consult a licensed provider. That said, today we do have Shomi from Lafia Health joining us all the way from the UK. I'm so excited. You know, Americans love UK accents. So <laughs> welcome, Shomi. Hi, thank you for having me. Welcome. Shomi, you run Lafia Health, a hub focused on promoting mental and physical health in inclusive and accessible ways. And I discovered you from you know, one of those Instagram accounts that like finds other people's content and reshares it. And immediately I was drawn to your platform because as you say, Lafia loosely translates to overall vitality and well-being, which is something that I really resonate and connect with. But also doing so in a way that is inclusive because it is specific to languages that originate in West Africa and are commonly spoken in Nigeria. And you, if I'm understanding it correctly, established Lafia Health with the intent to talk about issues that have an effect on physical and mental health within Black communities. And a lot of issues disproportionately impact people of all colors, but specifically African and Caribbean ancestry. And some reasons are genetic, some are systematic. We talk, we have talked about a number of those here on the show. And I'm excited that with your expertise, we can dive in a little bit more today on the topic of burnout, which I know we're all experiencing, but we're also going to address it from the perspective of how it is also disproportionately affecting people of color and what we as a community can do either as allies or for ourselves to come <laughs> some of these challenges that we're all experiencing. I also just want to congratulate you on your nomination for Inside and Out Wellbeing Community Organizer of the Year this year for 2022. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. How, how has establishing... Lafia been for you? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and overall what what it's been like since taking on that focus? Yeah, sure. So I started this in, I started Lafia Health in 2017 and it started off really as a blog where I just wanted to get more information out there because a lot of illnesses were disproportionately affecting people in black communities. And I think that there was a lot of Part of it, like you said, it was down to genetics, part of it was environmental, and part of it were things that could be, you know, with the right knowledge, could be tackled. So my aim was to spread awareness. And as a blog in 2017, it caught on quite well. Then I got 
I got people used to reach out to me a lot. Then other people started wanting to write for it. Then eventually I hosted an event which went really, really well. And then from there, just kind of grew and grew. And also myself as a professional, I grew. So at 2017, I, I wasn't a therapist and then I became one. So with the platform, I started administering therapy or therapeutic workshops and stuff like that. And it really, really took off during the pandemic where I think everyone became a bit more introspective and more into their well-being because as much as the pandemic and lockdowns, you know, were just not really a highlight of of society, a lot of people had time to sit back and think and to realise how stressed they were or things that needed to change. So I think it, it worked well for, for business. And then, yeah, it became more topics that be became a bit more wide widespread such as you know burnout these are these are things that you know have been around for a long time but people started paying a lot more attention to them so it just became i think during the pandemic there was a lot of growth within the service absolutely i don't know how it is in the uk but in the us there's an extreme shortage of therapists people seeking support and therapeutic services, but on wait lists and this kind of extreme need that doesn't exist because of, I think, exactly what you're talking about, right? We, we all had time to kind of be alone at home with our thoughts for a while and realizing not only was the culture giving us burnout, we I've referred to it before as collective trauma, right? Like we're all experiencing this extreme event and then also reflecting on, you know, our past and traumas and different kinds of things. Because when you have time to sit and think versus avoiding, all of that stuff kind of comes back. So I think th that it's interesting to me that it took a pandemic for us to kind of hopefully take a step forward as a community to understand how to treat one another, including ourselves, with more kindness and compassion. But if that's what it took, at least there's a little bit of a silver lining, I think, right? Yeah, absolutely. As much as it's taken so much away, I think in some ways it has woken a lot of people up. Yeah. So I think what's interesting to me is this idea that burnout manifests both physically and emotionally. And I know this is one of the things that you talked about and some of your content that really connected me and resonated. And, and I'd love to dive in a little bit more, whether we ourselves are experiencing burnout, or maybe it's just to be more aware, compassionate person for those around us, because collectively, our culture, especially post pandemic is really hitting a wall. I I think we're all just tired. We're on this like emotional roller coaster right now where, you know, we, we, we think we feel good. And then, you know, we have these things that happen, whether it's, you know, in American culture, I don't know what's going on in the UK, but I know gas prices are also really high worldwide. Right. So we we're having like all these things where we're like, OK, we're going to travel. We're going to have a great summer. And then inflation and all these things make make it difficult. And then you also have then if you don't travel or whatever, the stress continues to build up, whether it's work or relationships that we don't have good boundaries on, all of these kinds of things can collectively affect us both physically and emotionally. And I think it would be good if we dove in a little bit on what this looks like and what we can do, not just for ourselves, but for 
members of marginalized communities, for our loved ones, for all of that kind of stuff. Because the more we're educated and the more we know, the more we can potentially help others and ourselves, right? Absolutely. And I think you've you've hit the nail on the head when you said what we can do for ourselves and for others as well. Because I think I think unfortunately people see health as a very personal, individualized thing. And then they see this thing, this divide between physical and mental health. But in so many things, working together and looking at how we can help the next person can, you know, really, really shift the culture in so many communities. So yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I'd love if we could start with is how stress affects or manifests physically. We have science to show that burnout, which is defined as a stress-induced work-related syndrome. I think it's a lot more than that, and I'm sure it'll come out as we're talking, but let's just roll with this particular study. said that it was associated with a higher incidence of infections, possibly pointing to a compromised immune system. I'll put the link to the study in the show notes, all of them that we mentioned. This one in particular was from 2006, and it tracked anti-inflammatory markers within the body to show our immune response and how it was reacting to pathogens and different sort of things. And so I think what I want to do is kind of think about, like Shomi said, this idea that our emotions, our emotional health is absolutely affecting our physical health. And I think we can not think the science absolutely supports that we can deduce that burnout is causing an increase in inflammatory markers and immune cells and can make us more susceptible to whether it's a virus or autoimmunity in general. And the antidote of being stressed out is our body telling us to slow down. So I think about like the the moms that all say, you know, when you get sick, it's your body's way of telling you to slow down. That is 100% legit science. So I think it's really important that we kind of like address this idea of physical health first, because I think we always think of burnout as being some of the more emotional kinds of things, but yep. it is absolutely a physical response. Absolutely. And I think one thing that that is, is, I understand why, but it's not always the most helpful, is the way that we separate physical and emotional health. We see them as these two completely world apart things where they're, they're very, very intertwined. So it's, you know, burnout is, is emotional, it's physical, it's everything is spiritual. It's just your overall health failing declining in your body saying hey you know I I need I need a break I can't continue at this pace something has to give and yeah seeing it as one isn't helpful or 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 seeing it as the other because it is you know it's just one of those things that is right bang down the middle absolutely I thought it was interesting there was a 2021 study that I was reading that was done I believe on nurses, a lot of the studies that I was reading were done on educators and health professionals, which is fascinating that those providing the service to community are the ones 
you know, significantly impacted and, and being studied. And this one in particular was looking at nurses because of how important it is for them to regulate their immune systems because of the exposures that they have as nurses. Yeah. And the study found that psychological and behavioral interventions reduced the degree of job burnout and therefore regulated their immunity, enabling them to serve better. So I think this is one of those things where, as you're saying, if we think about health not being personal, if we think about how important this is from a community aspect, that if we can respect someone's boundaries, if we can support the psychological and behavioral interventions that are needed for someone to regulate their own stress, that enables them to serve the community better and be available when we might need them to support us in hospitalizations or whatever it might be, right? Like it's, it's absolutely this big network and we're all connected. And if we don't support one another, whether this is a mom putting on her oxygen mask first for her kids, or in this case, a nurse working at a hospital, like we we can't do this by ourselves. It has to be collected and, and community. Absolutely. Yeah, because your your efforts can't exist in a vacuum, unfortunately. You know, you can take all the breaks and do all the self-care and, and all of that. But if when you go outside, you know, your your boss treats you horribly and, and the customers that you work with are nasty and, you know, nobody helps you with, with childcare, then, you know, what efforts are your self-care actually going to go towards? So it's definitely important that, you know, within a community, we look at how we treat certain classes of people, especially like you, you mentioned mums at the moment. You know, there's a lot of, especially in the Western world, there's an increase of something called parental burnout, where being a parent now is the most isolated that it's ever been before. You know, there's ridiculously high childcare costs and it isn't as communal whereas if you look a few generations back a child was raised by multiple people so obviously primarily the parents but then also grandparents and cousins and aunties and uncles and stuff like that so it was a lot more of a group effort to raise a child now it's a lot more you know you had the child it's your business and everyone else is is doing their own thing and it's it's affecting you know parents a lot more than how it was before or how it is in other parts of the world where they still look at it as, as where they still look at it as a communal effort. So yeah, definitely the way that we see certain roles in community affects the culture and the health of certain individuals. And yeah, it's definitely it's definitely worthwhile seeing it as bigger than yourself. That's such a good point. I know the first study referring to stress being a work-related syndrome. Now, being a parent as absolute work but I don't think that it would have fit into the definition that that study was looking at. And I think especially in the pandemic, I'm, I'm a mom of four who all were home for over a year with virtual school. And it was the most stressful 18 months of my life. Like it absolutely hit a wall and was not doing well. I'll just put it lightly. <laughs> so I think being able to extrapolate this idea of burnout beyond just what one might think in terms of, you know, you don't have a supportive boss or it's a stressful environment and really think about what conditions in your life are you feeling like so overwhelmed by that you, you can't handle. Maybe it would be helpful if we kind of walked through what are some of those other symptoms that, 
you know, we see in burnout so that we can be aware, not just in ourselves, but also in others to be that supportive community. I know this was the the post on Instagram that really excited me to talk to you. And I love the way that you broke it down. Okay. Oh, thank you. So a lot of symptoms are, again, you know, physical and some are emotional as well. Really, really common ones are easily overlooked and people tend to, it's funny, it it goes down this cycle where people blame themselves and it causes them more burnout where they're like, oh, I just need to work harder. So things like poor concentration is is a really common feature of burnout, but people are like, oh, you know, this is just me being lazy or whatever and I just need to work harder and they they burn themselves out more so that's one of the first ones that somebody might get poor concentration low moods a lack of motivation so just really struggling to get out of bed or get things done or not having that what tends to happen with human beings is that when we do things we feel a sense of accomplishment which provides us more motivation but with burnout that it regulates that cycle where we don't get that accomplishment we just feel a sense of dread all the time we can feel really undervalued we can also have impacts to our sleep sometimes it causes ang- ang- it can coincide with anxious symptoms as well such as heart palpitation heavy breathing we can get catastrophic thoughts thoughts of dread headaches body aches and we you also mentioned symptoms to do with your immune system so you might not actually feel it but you might notice that you know you're getting more colds and flus and or your allergies are extra worse this year or just whatever it is that you might normally get is just happening more often you might from another perspective you might notice that somebody's complaining a lot more than they normally do or that they're venting a lot more or that they're facetiously saying things like oh you know I wish I never or I wish I wasn't doing this or you know when people kind of lament jokingly but that it's in the subtext they actually kind of mean what they're joking about when somebody's suffering from burnout you might you might pick up on that a lot more than normal but those are some of the symptoms I can think of off the top of my head I think you grabbed every single one from that Instagram post if you're going off the top of your head. The only other one that like really resonated with me that I hear a lot from others kind of like that venting that you were talking about is also self-doubt, right? Like no longer thinking that your work is good enough or taking pride or needing to ask for reassurances and a lot of validation. I I see it a lot as what I refer to as assuming the worst, right? Like whether that's of yourself or of others and in thinking that um, just negatively overall, whether you know, it's it's about the venting that you were talking about, or especially if it's work-related, that, that self-doubt about the work. I would love maybe if you could talk a little bit about how this all manifests itself disproportionately affecting Black communities and also the, the BIPOC community overall. I know your, your focus is the Black community, but I would argue that it's not just only that community that is disproportionately affected, I think. We see a lot where how much harder it is on multitude of marginalized communities that we can all extrapolate the lessons learned into how to be better allies and and what to look for. Do you mind diving into that a little bit? Yes, of course. So when it comes to marginalized communities, 
what you tend to find or and with burnout as well is that it coincides with with lower income and as you can imagine you know the lower somebody's income is the more money worries that they have the more they have to overwork and the more it feels like their efforts are going nowhere because it, it just becomes a cycle thing when coupled with so just the, the normal things that anybody would have to face but then just coupled with having to work more having less leisure time and being affirmed even less because society finds it easier to to doubt the efforts of of people of marginalized communities so yeah you get those symptoms in overdrive and there's actually studies around symptoms of stress impacting communities of of color more and you know having effects like reduction of life expectancy and causing things like high blood pressure heart problems contributing to a lot of inflammatory responses that that cause long-term illnesses so chronic illness of course you know has different sources but the progression of it is accelerated is accelerated by inflammatory responses which stress can be a big contributor towards so things like whether you, whether or not you were always going to have diabetes stress means that you would have it earlier or that it would get worse earlier so you have a higher acceleration of any kind of chronic illness in these communities too and this results in shorter lifespans overall. That's such a great point about the acceleration of things happening earlier because of stress. And I can think of so many ways that that applies in terms of, you know, seeing that what might have impacted, for example, my mother had her gallbladder removed in her 40s. I had my gallbladder removed in my 30s. And I think that there's a lot of things like that, right, that the the longer time goes on, the more stress we seem to be facing, the work expectations, the stress on community, the the internet in and of itself creating this really competitive, stressful environment. And so I can see how this absolutely affects the BIPOC community at a much higher rate because of the additional stressors that are put on marginalized communities. Again, I'll put the link in the show notes to this 2001 study that I was, I mean, 2021 study. There's so many done (laughs) last year because of the pandemic, I'm assuming. But this one was with educators and they were looking at why BIPOC educators leave the workforce at a much higher rate than white colleagues. And what they found is exactly what you were talking about from the stress of it being exacerbated because not only were they experiencing all of the stress of the pandemic and teaching and all of this stuff, but then they were also experiencing being marginalized and feeling like they didn't have advocates and that when there was racial conflict, they reported greater job burnout, which absolutely logically makes sense. And I guess the question is, then, if we know this to be true, what can we do, both from our own perspectives of self-protective if we're in a marginalized group or from an advocacy perspective to help protect and prevent those who are affected. 
Okay, so with this question, it's an interesting one because there's many approaches to take to take for it, but it's also quite controversial because, you know, sometimes it goes down the line of, oh, are we supposed to give special treatment? Are we supposed to do this? Are we supposed to do that? And I like to look at the example of how society has acknowledged a lot of marginalisation of women and accommodated for it. Obviously, you know, there's, there's still a way to go, but there have been some efforts made. So things like acknowledging when women are under represented in certain workforces, having initiatives to increase that there. Things like women support groups have been put in place. So maybe support groups with people of that same community where maybe they'd be able to relate to issues. Things like noticing what certain signs look like. So there's studies showing that Black people or people of colour are less likely to advocate for themselves. You know, they're, they're worried that, you know, it's going to be read wrong or they're going to be seen as complaining. So maybe just being aware of that and, and putting an act and asking, putting an extra effort to ask and and try and get in front of it, realising that, OK, you know, this person has been conditioned to, to complain less. You know, maybe I should have scheduled check, maybe on a managerial level, there should be more scheduled check-ins. And just really meeting the the points of need a bit more when there are racialized issues coming up within the workplace i think it's important that people of a racialized background are able to deliberate and and determine what should happen moving forward because i think you know talking about race is uncomfortable and a lot of people find that it's easier to sweep it under the rug but sweeping it under the rug can further people's marginalization so it's important that while it is uncomfortable these things are handled appropriately in a way that makes people feel that their presence and their ethnic heritage you know matters and it's not a disadvantage because I think a lot of people get that sense in a very hush hush unspoken way which can leave them feeling very you know very marginalized within within those spaces so yeah it's just important to try and get ahead of the issue try and advocate where you can ask ahead of time check in um, a bit more and notice those signs a bit more as well um i know with workplaces and health it can be a bit touchy but even things like disclosing health statuses so even if it's not necessarily saying okay everyone that's that's black we're going to do this with them but maybe noticing things like which staff members have high blood pressure you know and and these things come up more in black people than others so and it doesn't have to be black people it can be it can be in any race but noticing that okay these people have these illnesses that are, you know, exacerbated by stress and maybe we should expose them less to stressors and, you know, just just being a bit more accommodating to people's specific needs. Absolutely. Those are such... All of that is sums up really nicely what that 2001... Why do I keep saying that? 2021. In my mind, I'd love to go back to 2001. It was a great time. In that 2021 study said all of those things to actually be effective in reducing burnout. So I think what's nice is that there's actual scientific evidence and not just like, oh, I'm not sure if we should do this. The should word is one of my red flag words, right? Like if you're, <laughs> if you're kind of hemming and hawing, like not sure what to do, or 
you know, you're, you're feeling like you don't want to get it wrong. I know that's where I was a couple of years ago. And I'm so grateful that someone kind of said to me, called me out and said, it's okay if you get it wrong, as long as you're trying and you're willing to accept correction without taking it, you know, as criticism that you need to be defensive of, as long as you can learn, as long as you're trying, that's what matters. So this idea of like not sweeping it under the rug and saying, hey, I think that we need to create some policies around diversity, equity, inclusion, right? Like making sure that there are people at the table who represent our collective community the same way that you said, like think about it the way that we ensure this happens for women is such a great analogy for, and I wish that we were where we needed to be with that, but at least we do have some here in the States. We, we still don't even have like the equal rights ratified for women. But I know <laughs> it's like it's sometimes I'm like, what year is it? But here, you know, we do have a lot of states that have individually ratified it rather than at a country level. And I know even within, you know, where you live or what country, state, county, whatever it might be. Where you are, you can make a difference. And whether it's on one person that you're able to help, like that is a significant action that you've done for someone. So even if you're feeling like, well, what's the point? You know, this this is too big of an issue. I can't tackle it alone. Absolutely not. None of us can. That's why we all collectively need to fight for people being able to have access and rights so that they don't feel that burnout more so than others. Because if we think about, if I'm thinking about how much I'm burned out and how much I was affected and, you know, needed therapy, needed medication, needed to really reevaluate. And one of the things that, you know, I've shared about is how not everybody has access to that, whether it's, you know, black communities or other marginalized communities, whether you're feeling like, oh, it's too big of an issue. I can't possibly tackle this myself. Therefore, you know, I'm nervous. I don't want to do or say the wrong thing, put myself out there. And then, you know, it's all for nothing. I would argue that if you are able to impact one person's life in a positive way, even if the result isn't what you wanted or intended, that person knowing that they have an advocate is going to make a difference in how they are experiencing the burnout and all of the associated health effects of that, not to mention a multitude of other things. And so if we can obviously impact the, you know, hiring, the retention and the promotion of marginalized communities, that's the ideal. And we want to retain them. We want them to not be burned out and leave at a higher rate and all these things. But we can't individually change everything. We can't possibly do that. But collectively, if we each start making these changes and we start advocating, then it's like a rising tide lifts all ships. Do you, do you have that phrase where you, where you are in the UK? Yeah. Yeah. It's really apt. Yeah. I remember actually one time when I was studying and working at the same time, I was suffering from burnout and one of my colleagues, she, she literally said to me, you know, show me you're, you're dropping the ball a lot. What's up? And that in and of itself just was really, it was nice to be noticed and seen. Obviously, it was it was a bit embarrassing to be no, 
to be noticed that I wasn't doing so well. But from there, even made me recognize that I've been dropping the ball. And it gave me the space to talk about it because I thought I couldn't speak about it. I had to hide this thing. And the fact that it wasn't so hidden and somebody's noticed it gave me the avenue to open up about it. And even just the most simple thing she was able to help me with because in that state, I wasn't able to concentrate. And that's why I was dropping the ball. So she just said to me, okay, do you know what? Just drop everything. And literally, she said the most simple thing, like, just do it one by one or something like that. And sat with me for 15 minutes. And just do it one by one is, is very simple. But in that moment, it, it was, it felt a lot more complex than that. And her just talking me through something for about 15 minutes really lifted a, a massive weight off my shoulders and didn't completely reset me and make everything better. But it, it made my experience a lot more pleasant from there. So just little things, just noticing somebody, somebody drowning, you know, can be enough to, you know, get them out of the water for a bit. So, yes, it's important to, like you said, it, I know it can be scary to get things wrong. You know, you don't want to offend anyone or embarrass anyone or anything like that. But the most of the time they would get the underlying tone that you care, that you give a damn. And, and that's the most important thing. Absolutely. I, I think that's a really great way for her to have asked, too. I'm assuming it was a female colleague. I might be wrong. Yeah. But the... I took a training course in something called collaborative problem solving, and it starts step one by saying, I noticed X and using a fact, right? Like this, yeah. this is a fact. What's up with that? Or asking a question and really like opening up the forum for someone to share with you what's going on. And I took it because I have teenagers and there's a lot of collaborative problem solving that needs to happen to not have shouting matches and you know things derail the way that it can with teenagers but also because I'm a foster mom to therapeutic foster children who have experienced trauma and one of the things that I've learned is that trauma can manifest in ways that you might not possibly imagine, right? Like your young child having difficulty tying their shoes when previously they've had no problem tying their shoes might make you feel like, oh, they're just, you know, they're bumbling around, they're not focused, they're not on task. And then, you know, you want to get irritated with them. Like, why aren't you tied? You know, why aren't your shoes tied? It's time to go. Let's go. Let's go. Versus saying to them, Hey, I've noticed that the last couple of mornings you've had a hard time tying your shoes when previously we didn't have a problem with that. What's up with that? Or what do you think is up with that? And really opening a door for a discussion of, you know, my, my brain is just frazzled because I'm thinking about this thing that you might not know. Or in your coworker's case, like giving you a platform to say, I'm feeling overwhelmed with all the things that I need to do. And enabling you to then prioritize. And it's a really wonderful technique. And I love that she probably inadvertently did that. But it's been so helpful for me in my life. I just kind of wanted to call out that that, if you're worried about how to phrase things, that is something that I practiced in that collaborative problem solving training that is huge and really effective and helps someone feel exactly as you did. Seen, validated, versus you know, creating a conflict by kind of saying an expectation hasn't been met, right? Like if you approach it instead, like why aren't your shoes tied yet is very different than, hey, I've noticed that, 
your shoes haven't been tied, blah, blah, blah. So that's a little bit of a sidebar, which I tend to do sometimes, but such a a fantastic example. I just wanted to call attention to it because I do think that that is great wording that we can replicate. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thanks for drawing attention to that because even in recalling it, I didn't realize how helpful it was, but you highlighting that really was helpful. Thank you. Awesome. This podcast is brought to you by Dame Products. Yes, I said yes to the ultimate self-care brand sponsoring our show because we all need to be more open to the idea of pleasure being good for us, mentally and physically, whether by yourself or with a partner. Seriously, we have owned the Eva, the first hands-free vibrator for couples for years. It's small and a fantastic way to boost connection and change things up even if you've been together for 20 years. (laughs) Sharing pleasure during intimacy not only feels good in your body, but it can increase your emotional connection and decrease your stress levels. Isn't that what we're talking about today? So you can take these good feelings with you throughout your day. Even the most motivated couples can benefit from a strategically placed buzz. Enter Dame Products. The Eva is a hands-free toy that nestles close to the body and is designed to enhance, not distract, from you and your partner's connection. And if the Eva isn't right for you both, Dame has so many high-quality options. So what are you waiting for? Try adding a toy into the mix and discover new layers of pleasure that you can share, plus something you'll look forward to. I also highly recommend adding the air, that's A-E-R, and the oil to your cart. The air is a great way to relieve personal tension quickly, wink, wink, and the oil passes my clean test. Seriously, I haven't found a clean ingredient lube that didn't dry out or get weird with use, and this one is the jam. Okay, admittedly, that pun went too far. Just go to dameproducts.com slash today for 15% off site-wide and check it out yourself. That's code WHOLEVIEW to take 15% off your first order at dameproducts.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox, which is perfect timing because... Our subscription just got delivered and I'm so excited for these summer grill goodies. I love that we can customize our boxes. I prefer different cuts in the summer and now we're all set. It allows us to be prepared whether I meal plan or not. The convenience of heading to the freezer and having ButcherBox protein waiting for us versus needing to run to the store is huge. Throw on some summer squash or other veggies to the grill or serve a side salad and you're good to go. Meals come together so quickly without dirtying up the kitchen or heating up the whole house. My favorite grill recipes are in Beyond Bacon, so if you already have that cookbook, whatever cut of pork you get, you're covered. And the best part, why ButcherBox is my specific meat delivery of choice, humane and sustainably raised meat, you can rest assured the beef is grass-fed and finished, that the chicken is free-range organic, seafood is wild-caught, no antibiotics and added hormones, and it's shipped for free, frozen right to your door in an eco-friendly, 100% recyclable box. They're focused on quality, both for you, the animal, and the planet. I love supporting B Corps, which they are. 
not sure of your summer plans. You definitely don't want that meat sitting on your front porch. So it's great that you can pause when you're away or change it as you need. Get summer sizzling started with this special butcher box deal for you listeners. Free bacon for life of your membership plus $10 off. Seriously, these for life deals are the absolute best because it's like savings that never ends. I can't put a value on it because it it never ends. It's like an infinity a free bacon. Who doesn't want that? Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash whole view and use code whole view to get one pack of free bacon in every box for the life of your membership plus $10 off your first order. That's butcherbox.com slash whole view and use code whole view to claim this deal. All right. So I like to always leave our listeners with actions that they can take that, you know, instead of just kind of delivering bad news, like burnout is really (laughs) bad for you. Like what are some ways that we can manage burnout and help others? I know we've, we've talked about that some so far. I found a great infographic that I will put a link in the show notes, but I'm, I'm going to describe it. And I'm wondering what else you would add to this list beyond the ones that were on this infographic. So the first is, again, this is both if you're trying to manage your own burnout or if you're trying to um, help others, whom, whomever it applies, right? Like this is kind of a ways that we can help. One, reach out to those closest to you. I think burnout can cause symptoms of withdrawal. And I think you said feeling really isolated. So reaching out and making sure that, you know, daily routines and responsibilities, if they're getting dropped off, kind of like you were mentioning, right, that we're we're reaching out to those closest to us to either ask for help or if we're noticing that it's not being done, reaching out to them. This is such a tricky one for me. It was, again, on the infographic, but it says find a work-life balance. I don't know how it is where you are, but here in the States, that's such a loaded term. Like, I, I find that usually when employers say things like work-life balance, what they're saying is we're going to work you a lot and then we're going to like give you free happy hours. <laughs> That's not what a work-life balance is. Work-life, yeah. work-life balance is if you're being overworked, if you're being underpaid, if you feel isolated, if just in general, you feel stress, then it's really about reframing and reprioritizing other life responsibilities. And I, I like really want to just kind of like pause on that for a minute because I wish that I had had the wherewithal to understand this at an earlier age. I was very driven when I had a corporate career and I didn't think that I could reprioritize my life. I thought that if I didn't put everything I had in every waking moment into the success of my career, then I wouldn't be successful. And reflecting back, I think it actually hurt my career that I wasn't ever 
decompressing and I wasn't building relationships beyond just the small like personal group that I had. There were a lot of people in the office that I could have had positive relationships with that didn't have anything to do with work, but I was so driven and focused. Like if we'd go out to lunch, it was like, you know, like I was like blinders on kind of thing. And it, it really definitely contributed to extreme, extreme burnout for me. Yeah, and I think it's it's good that you mentioned that. I'm sorry that you experienced that because I think the culture that we currently live in is very work first, mm. you know. And when people say things like work life balance, especially employers, it sounds like you know we're going to work you to the bone, <laughs> and you find a way to deal with it and, and balance yourself mm-hmm. elsewhere. But it it can't always work like that. And because work is so intertwined with everything, you know, your livelihood, you know, you have to you have to focus on it. It is really difficult. But I think I think it's something that needs to be understood is that it's almost like a fight. You know, your employer's job is to extract everything that they can out of you. Their job is to get the highest level of productivity out of you. And you have to, you know, because you're not... At you're, the you're lowest a, cost to themselves, too. Yeah, at the lowest cost to themselves. So they're going to try and get everything they can out of you, your, your time, your body your soul your your efforts your energy and if you if there's no pushback they're gonna win so you almost have to see them as not your enemy but you do have to have a bit of pushback you, you can't just play into that hand because then you're playing into the hand that's draining you you have to push back you have to say no you have to you have to not be afraid of disappointing sometimes and not meeting certain expectations and realizing actually this is my limit this is the way that I work this is more befitting for me because again you know you'll just end up playing into the hand that that is 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 burning you out and when you have other responsibilities other things or maybe you're not somebody that is inclined to feel fulfilled in work and there are other areas of life it's really really important that you you have those hard firm boundaries and set up those expectations and also trust that in that process obviously I know it sounds really fairy tale-ish I fully understand you know that some employers will not be accommodating but you know again fight advocating for yourself so are you going up against them are you looking for another job are you talking to your colleagues about it but still not giving up and throwing in the towel and saying okay employer here is my soul because that they will take it so that is their job to take as much as they can from you and it's it's really really hard in in practice but it's absolutely necessary i had a mentor tell me once if you don't advocate for yourself who will And it really stuck with me because I always thought it was my boss's job to protect me or to advocate for me to get a raise or whatever. And this mentor just in those simple words really helped me understand like, no, my, my boss's job was to keep his departmental budget down so Mm -hmm. that he would get a bonus, right? If I didn't advocate for myself, who would? And again, a lesson I learned too late, but hopefully (laughs) our listeners can benefit from totally 100% agree with you. The other, the next one that was on this infographic is very similar to the previous, and it is to reevaluate your priorities. And I love that it's kind of called out twice because it's so important that if you're prioritizing 
others' needs over your personal well-being, it can feel overwhelming. And this is where I think that parental burnout often comes into play. But also for me in a corporate environment, I was definitely prioritizing the needs of the business, right? Like, well, I think that they need this right now, Sunday at 2 p.m. No, they did not. But <laughs> Monday would have been fine, you know? So I think it's good to check in with yourself and reevaluate where you are mentally, emotionally, physically, and set those social and emotional boundaries and reprioritize activities that help support your mental well-being. So in that 2021 study, I got the year right this time, when we're looking at the, the boundaries of those nurses, like think about those nurses and how their immune system was weakened and they were having more time away from work because of their irregulation in their immune system. And when they incorporated psychological and behavioral interventions, they saw that the burnout went down, their immunity went up, and thus it enabled them to serve others better. And I think this is like the crux of why self-care is so important. And in this case, we're, we're calling it reevaluate your priorities, right? Like knowing mm -hmm. that if you take care of yourself first, it enables you to take care of others more if that's your goal, but in a healthy, managed way. Exactly. And I think jobs like being a nurse, being a mother, you know, when you're working with people and you're, you have to be emotionally invested, you're, you have to take extra care to protect yourself because this is not just, you know, you not, not discrediting any other job, but it isn't just, you know, pressing buttons and doesn't really matter how you're feeling. You have to be with people emotionally, deliver bad news, you know, connect with people, connect with their families. It's, it's a lot very, it's, it's a lot on your emotions. And if you're not protecting them, you know, it does make your quality of work a lot worse. It does make you, you know, worse at your job. It does mean that, you know, you're, you're not, you're missing out on things with your patients or with your children. You're not picking up on things as well. So yeah, making sure you're you're in tune emotionally you know it's good for your for your immune system meaning that you know you're able to to do it better and more effectively but even just the the way in which you do it the quality increases like a, a lot of parents now are finding that they're looking after their children but they're not doing things like playing with their children so so it's almost like you're what you're working on it but you're not working with it or in it or doing the part that's the most enjoyable and the most fun because you know, you, you, now you're for, it's become a thing of have they eaten, have they this, and have they done their homework, as opposed to have we chilled together and watched a movie. Do, do you get what I mean? Absolutely. And I totally agree. In my case, it's picking up. <laughs> it's constant, like mess and just feeling like I'm in a, in a state of mess. And when I pull back a little bit and, and realize what is or isn't important or what I want to enforce in terms of their chores and responsibilities versus you know what, we're going to play a game and we're going to have fun. We're going to turn on music. We're going to dance together. We're going to watch a movie together or whatever. If we're not doing those activities, it makes it so much more stressful when I'm like 
you didn't do the dishes, then that's all it is, right? It's just like this game of nagging, which I think really also leads into, it's like you, it's like, you know what you're talking about. It leads into the the final thing that was on this infographic, which is mindfulness. And I think for me, when I first saw this, I was like, no, yoga will not make racism go away. And we couldn't ask anyone to accept it. I think what the intent of this mindfulness activity is exactly what you're talking about, right? Like being mindful of how you are participating and interacting in your communities, whether it's, you know, at work, at home, wherever. And if you are facing constant racial trauma, for example, that's going to prolong stress. If you are facing, you know, just for me during the pandemic, pandemic, feeling really overwhelmed with being at home while my husband was a mail carrier. So he was like away all the time and just feeling really isolated and alone and responsible for these kids that weren't in a good state either. Right. Like I needed to be mindful. I needed to do breathing activities. I needed to be aware of what was happening so that then I could get therapy. I could get medicine and I could do those things. If I'm not aware of some of these things, then I can't solve them. And it was also really helpful and important for me to find coping mechanisms that help regulate your body's response, right? Your, your body's nervous system to take it out of that fight or flight mode and the different places that burnout will take you into activities like meditation, yoga, swimming, walking, just simply sitting and doing breathing exercises. For me, I would go into our our hot tub in the backyard and just like take 10, 15 minutes by myself. And doing those sort of things can activate your body's relaxation response and create a state of restfulness that can relieve the underlying stress that causes burnout. It doesn't mean that it's going to make the situation that caused the stress go away, but we can at least help regulate our bodies a little bit. Absolutely. And I think that's a really good point because some things are, you know, beyond our control and they are very frustrating, especially racism and all kinds of discrimination. But one thing I like to say is that you can't let it doubly take from you. So already, you know, racism, sexism, any ism, or system of of oppression will take away from you in some way. But then when you're letting it now become an additional stressor, it's it's now doubly taking away from you. So when you are more regulated, you're able to pick your battles and decide, am I going to respond to this? Is this worth my time right now? Can I delegate this to someone else? Am I going to ignore this this time? You know, having being able to regulate and decide how you're going to respond is is really powerful as opposed to. So, for example, me, when I'm when I'm very stressed out, I'm very reactive. So anything I'm snapping back at and that leads me into a further cycle of stress but then when I'm more regulated some things I can I can just breathe through let slide and you know just pick my battles in a lot more of a controlled way where I'm not constantly coming at it from a state of reactivity and impulsiveness where I'm just ending up being more stressed than I was before absolutely Okay, what else have I forgotten or wasn't on this infographic? Do you have other ideas or techniques? I think it's also important because we we live in a very, very busy culture and it can feel like, you know, there's always so much to do. And unfortunately, that's how it's going to be forever. There's always going to be another thing to do. You don't have to do everything now. 
that's that's just the most important thing there's all that you know you're never going to get through that list there's always going to be more things to do not all of those things are equally as important and it's almost like when it comes to things like rest and hobbies you need to treat them as medication so you treat them almost like a prescription like you know once a day I need to put my feet up for 15 for 15 minutes or I need to do yoga or whatever it is that you find restful and then I need to do this this hobby for 15 minutes I need to do this creative thing I need to get my hands messy I need to light a candle I need to go for a walk whatever it is treat them as a prescription because these these are not just things that are cute and oh you know just do this and all of that because burnout isn't about a lot of people feel like okay you know I'm burnt out I need to go on holiday and that will reverse the burnout it isn't it isn't it's not this microwave thing it's a lifestyle you know every time you're getting you're getting stressed your body's responding you can't just go back to the stress immediately after and think that everything's better and reset. It's still, the remnants are still there. So you need to kind of change the, the, the way in which you do things altogether. So having things like restful, rest as a prescription, and hobbies as a prescription and exercise as a prescription for yourself are really, really important to change your lifestyle, to work very slowly on reversing and improving your internal health, your immune system, and making sure that you're more regulated on, on on a and and steady not just that you're you're building up your stress and then you're offloading some then you're building it up and and you're having this roller coaster effect with your stress levels i love the idea of it being a prescription because it's almost like you are given permission to mandate that as a thing right instead of feeling guilty for self care feeling like it is a requirement, a prescription that your medications aren't going to work without that is 100% accurate. Like (laughs) any doctor would tell you like, absolutely medicine alone won't work. I hear this all the time with, you know, the therapy that we do for myself, my kids, whatever, right? Like it's medicine alone cannot do it. You have to also be doing other things lifestyle-wise in tandem. So thinking of those activities as part of the medicine of prescription is a really great way to tell your brain it's a non-negotiable, that you can't just keep deferring it because you need to be more productive. Like that will enable you to be more productive probably if you go do the thing and relax and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I, I love the idea of, of treating it like medicine. Um, Shomi, thank you so much for taking the time to dive into this with us today. I'm going to make sure, you know, all the links are in our show notes. But if you want to follow up with her, you can find lafiahealth.co.uk. For my Americans, that's a little different. So <laughs> make sure you go to the show notes and pull it up. And you can also find Shomi at L-A-F-I-Y-A Health at Instagram. And you also do events and workshops, right? Virtual as well. Someone doesn't need to be in the UK. Yes, absolutely. So my next ones coming up are on anxiety. So first, it's called anxiety, you, me and anxiety. And it's looking at how anxiety impacts us and our interactions as well. So on the 6th of July, we're looking at how anxiety impacts people as individuals then the 13th of july is looking at supporting a loved one with anxiety and and conflict resolution then on the 20th of july i'm looking at attachment styles particularly the anxious attachment styles Mm. so those are 25 pounds a pop which i think is about 
$30 to $35 each for about two hours, and they are online workshops. Awesome. And I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, listeners, if you want to check that out. We will be sharing more of what we really thought over on the Patreon. And we had another topic that we had planned to discuss. And so, Shomi, I think you'll probably be back to, to discuss that. But we'll talk about it more on patreon.com slash the whole few. And that's also the best place to ask questions, too. If you love the show and want to support us, the Patreon is a great way to do that. You can also support us by leaving a review or hitting the follow or subscribe button in the podcast app that you're using so that others can be inspired to find us as well. Show me. Thank you so much. I loved speaking with you and I love the work that you're doing and I can't wait to chat with you more. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey. I've really enjoyed being the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.